Brother Presbyterian, but I decided to, to go ahead and do one more. I did a lesson on the family last week, and um, kind, of, kind of as a whole, but I want to do one specifically on marriage tonight, or at least uh, an aspect of it. Hopefully that'll be a help to you. And I know I, I put in there to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to have you turn to James chapter 1 instead. Hebrew, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 really is, is a, a lot of the... Uh, it's, it's the entire passage, really, that gives a husband-wife relationship. And rather than taking the time to read that, I want to get to James chapter 1. And so after I had already uh, given my, the PowerPoint, Brother Josh, I changed a couple things. And um, uh, anyway, um, what I want to talk about tonight really deals a lot more with, with this passage here in James chapter 1. Uh, an officer that I spent some time with, I, I obviously get to ride along with the officers um, in Henrico a decent amount, being a chaplain for them. And uh, so I, 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 I talk to them a lot. I hear a lot of their issues and things. And of course, that, that really, um, it's, it gives me some exposure to marriages outside of the Christian mindset and everything else, if, if you will. Uh, obviously, a lot of what I know is within our own church and dealing with people who are, who are Christians and and who, for the most part, uh, you know, I won't say that they don't have issues. Everybody has uh, many times just at least some kind of issue in their marriage that they're working on or trying to work through or something like that. Um, but anyway, I was riding with this officer, and, and he was married to an elementary school teacher. And uh, she had to get up early in the morning to be able to get to school in time and all of that stuff. His shift got, he, he worked the evening shift, and that shift doesn't get over till. 12:30, 1 o'clock, and so he'd come in late after, many times after she was already in bed, and really not paying attention to the volume, how, how loud he was coming in, and how loud he was, you know, getting in the shower, and getting ready for bed, and all of the stuff that he did as he was preparing to get into bed, and of course, uh, this was, he, he said, you know, they hadn't been married all that long, uh, when he found out uh, um, just how agitated his wife was when he came in and, and made all that noise. And she gave him an earful about how loud he was and how inconsiderate he was. And, of course, then he started to complain about her oversensitivity and her, uh, her, her harshness and whatever else. But then a lot of mornings, she would wake up at, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning to get up to start getting ready for, for school and not paying attention to how loud she was, not paying attention to the fact that he didn't get in bed till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, not paying attention to the fact that she was, you know, turning the lights on and being just as loud as she wanted to be. Uh, and essentially, you know, we, we, we kind of laughed about it a little bit, but, but um, you know, he talked about how he would, you know, he'd wake him up and he would just lay there just fuming about how, how she had treated him the night before and now how she had no regard for exactly what she had just yelled at him about uh, a couple hours before that. Um, but each one of them was holding another one to uh, essentially a double standard. They wanted to be able to do what they wanted to do and hold the other one accountable uh, without having that same accountability held to themselves. And so they, they each expected the other one to uphold standards that they turned around and broke later. And I think you see double standards everywhere, politics especially. You see it in the business world. But where those double standards become especially dangerous is in the home and particularly in marriage. Now, let me, let me, let me just say this uh, quickly when it comes to our families. Um, I think one of the things that's the most damaging to families is when the kids see you in a church setting and acting one way, and then they see you at home, and they see you acting a completely different way. That is, it's, it's hypocrisy, at, you know, at its core, but it's a double standard uh, on the outside. You're holding yourself to two different standards, and your kids see that. 
And you know what's going to happen is they're not going to hold themselves to the highest common denominator. They're going to fall to the lowest common denominator. It's just like water rolling to the lowest level, right? You can pretend all you want to that you're one way when everybody sees you at church, but the real you is who you, your kids see. The real you is who God sees, uh, and it's very damaging to trying to raise kids for the Lord if you are two different people. That's not what we want to talk about tonight, except to say that I do want to talk about that kind of from the marriage aspect rather than the family aspect, but that attitude really attacks the foundation of even what might be considered the strongest marriages. And we see this in James chapter 1 and verse number 8 is essentially exactly what he's talking about when he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded really means two-faced. One, one way to one set of people, another way to another set of people, or uh, saying one thing and acting another way. There's a lot of things that we can talk about when we talk about double-minded or two-faced or hi hypocrite, essentially, is what it comes down to. But I want to look at that very practically um, and spiritually, because we're going to look at a decent number of verses tonight as well, but, but at some of the common double standards in, that, that we have in marriage, and then how we can avoid them, all right? Very practical message tonight, but hopefully it'll be a help to you. I've got seven things that I want to look at, and they're all pretty quick, but turn over to Philippians chapter 2. The first one, where we often have a double standard, is when it comes to meeting each other's needs. Um, the double standard in that aspect a lot of times is that she expects all of her emotional needs to be met before she meets his physical needs. He expects all his physical needs to be met before, she, before he meets her emotional needs. And the double standard a, a lot of times comes when a spouse is expecting to have his or her needs met without meeting the needs of the other. Uh, and, and we all have needs in marriage. There's, you know, otherwise, why wouldn't we just stay as friends, right, and live in two different places and, and whatever else? No, marriage is, a meant, is meant to be a coming together. Marriage is that oneness. Man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they two, twain shall be one flesh, right? So that's what marriage is all about. Each one of them have needs that need to be met. But when one expects his needs or her needs to be met without meeting the needs of the other, then there's a frustration. Um, and, and both people, a lot of times, are going to end up frustrated, but it causes resentment in marriage uh, many times. And that's how couples end up living in separate rooms or sleeping in separate you know, beds or whatever else. And, and, and honestly, that's a whole lot more common than you realize it is. I've talked to many, many people that, uh, yeah, well, my wife and I, we're not divorced, we're not really separated, but we're, st we're staying in separate rooms. We have a, a two-story house, and she stays upstairs, I stay downstairs, and it's been that way for the last 10 years, and it seems to work all right. That's not the way marriage was intended to be. That's not the intimacy that you're supposed to have in marriage, but what happens is that resentment builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, and neither one of them, neither, neither spouse, is willing to give in toward, to, to the other and it just, they move apart, and that's what you end up with. How do you avoid that? Well, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, kids, plug your ears for a minute. That's not saying that you can go cheat on a test or something like that. It's not telling you to look on another person's test paper. It's saying you ought to be concerned about everybody else's needs, not on your own. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If you're... If you're if you really follow what this verse is saying, then you're going to be more concerned with your spouse's needs than you are about your own, and there's no time for resentment to build up. 
right? I say this all the time when I'm, when I'm talking to couples that I'm, that I'm uh, uh, doing some marriage counseling, like pre-marriage counseling with. Love is wanting the best for another person. That's what love really is. And if you want the best, oh, I love that person so much. Oh, you know, we, we, couldn't, you know, we couldn't wait until we got married and, and whatever else and, and, you know, impurity and all those other things. that are. You didn't want the best for the other person. You, you say you love them, but you really don't love them. That's not the best for them, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to the actual marriage, when you're married. Love is wanting the best for another person. And if that means that I have to set aside all of my own desires and all of my own needs and everything else for the needs of my wife or for the needs of the husband, then that's what love really is. And, there, and then that, there's no time for that resentment to build up if I'm truly concerned about their needs over my own. Right? But a lot of times what happens is people go into a marriage saying marriage is 50-50. Right? How many times have you heard that? Right? No, marriage is not 50-50. Marriage should be 100-100. I'm going to give you 100% whether you give me anything back or not. Well, there ought to be a give and take. Maybe so, but that's not my responsibility to make sure my wife is giving. It's my responsibility to make sure that I'm giving 100% of myself in that marriage, regardless of whether she gives me 0% back or not, right? That's my responsibility, and when I got married, that's what, I, that's what my vows to my wife were. I'm giving myself to you, not, not 50%, 100%. I'm giving you everything. And so if you want to avoid ha having that double standard when it comes to meeting each other's needs, a good way to do that is to put your spouse's needs before your own. When you, when you do that consistently, you can, you can call on your spouse to do the same thing. Somebody has to make the first move, though. Might as well be you, right? Avoid that double standard. The second thing is uh, a lot of times that comes down to is his parents, her parents, and his parents, right? The double standard a lot of times is that one one spouse's parents get the, the preferential treatment. They're welcome to come anytime they want to come to the house. Uh, you know, they will make concessions for them, but not for your parents, right? They're different. <laughs> We're not making concessions for them. Uh, you know, when the in-laws come around, the attitude changes. Um, you know, extended family situations and unwillingness to change, that can cause significant stress in the marriage, right? Um, the husband starts to wonder what's wrong with his family, that they're not good enough for his wife. And so then he starts to get defensive of them. And she attacks their flaws even more, and he shoots back that her family is too, you know, too uppity or whatever it happens to be. I mean, whatever the issue is. But you can see where that would cause tension in the marriage. So how do you avoid that? Well, focus on why your spouse might have that double standard. There, there's probably a reason why your husband or your wife came to that conclusion about your family, right? And it, many times it happens in the dating phase when I came over and your dad met me at the door with a shotgun pointed at my forehead, you know, and that's where it all started. Why do you think I'm going to treat him? Uh, and, and who, I mean, obviously I'm being, I'm being facetious, but many times it starts in that way. And, 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 you know, maybe to ask the questions, what ways are you pressured by my family? Right? I've, I've, been, I've been blessed in my family not to have to worry about that. I, you know, uh, I love my in-laws, and, and my wife gets, gets along great with my dad and, and, of course, my mom before she passed away. Uh, but, there's, but the in-laws cause a lot of division in a lot of families. Your parents always fill in the blank. And that's where you, you've got to sit down and have that discussion, or it's always going to be a point of contention. It's going to ruin your marriage. 
And the solution is not to just, well, then fine, none of them are going to come around. Don't let any of them come. No in-laws, no in-laws. Nobody's allowed to be here. No, they should be involved, but, but there has to be some, some discussion about it. Discuss it with them. Explain how and why it hurts you and your family. And honestly, what's going to happen is as you get more comfortable uh, talking about those things, as you get more comfortable around them, they're going to be more comfortable around you, and then at least you can get along. And I, I get it. There, there are some laws who are, uh, some laws, some in-laws who are outlaws, or should be anyway, right? Uh, and don't treat people the way that they should be treated and, and whatever else. But uh, a lot of times that can cause contention in the family. And sometimes you realize, you know what? Yeah, my parents really aren't, aren't very nice. <laughs> and you can come to that consensus together because, yeah, you know what? I, I understand why you treat my parents that way. They're not very nice to you. They're not very nice to me either, or whatever the, the situation might be. But either way, don't let that be what causes contention within your own marriage, and especially not when there's a double standard. Your parents get treated well. My parents get treated like garbage. Why is that? And that causes that contention in the marriage. Third thing, and this is a big one that happens a lot of time, but spending habits. Uh, there's, a, there's a double standard when it comes to that a lot of times. One, one person buys a lot of things for themselves, and a lot of them are very frivolous things, but they're very critical of the other one when they make the same type of purchase. All right? And it, it goes both ways. I mean, sometimes it's the wife who is making all the purchases, and, and the husband and you know, is not allowed to spend $5, or the husband's buying all this stuff, and the wife's not allowed to spend $5, uh, you know, whatever the situation happens to be, but one wants complete control of what the other spends money on. Um, I had a, one of my uncles, and this was, this was a previous marriage. He's, he's, he got divorced and whatever else, got out of that whole situation. I didn't know this, this uh, I mean, she was my aunt, I guess. I didn't know her well. But I, I just remember he came over to the house one time, and he was talking with my parents, and we were all sitting around, and, and uh, she, was, she was very wealthy. She was a professional, um, I won't say what she was, but she was a professional person, doctor, lawyer, that kind of stuff. And she said, what's, what's, what's yours is ours. What's mine is mine. And basically what she was saying is everything I make is mine. That goes into, account, into an account. It's for, my, it's for me. It's for whatever I want to do. What you make goes to pay for our house and our cars and our everything else. What's, what's yours is ours. What's mine is mine. And she wasn't joking. She was serious about it. And uh, that happens a lot of times. And it's, it's important to come to an agreement when it comes to financial choices. Finances are the source of a lot of failed marriages. If I had to you know, apart from, you know, lack of spirituality and everything else, if I had to pick one thing that is a, uh, the number one cause of divorce in America, it's finances, because people cannot agree on those things. You spend way too much money, and you don't let me spend it. Fine, if you're going to spend that much money, I am too, and the next thing you know, there are thousands of dollars in debt, and they can't get out of it, and they start arguing constantly about money, and, you know, and, and everything breaks down, and irreconcilable differences, and they, they divorce, right? So how do you avoid that? Well, it takes a, it takes a lot of, of dialogue. It takes a lot of budgeting. It takes a financial plan. Um, almost all the issues can be taken care of with a budget. We have a budget, and we have had since, since we were married, and honestly, since before we were married, and I've had one for probably 10 years before we were married. My dad taught us how to set it up. We use, we use and I remember just even in high school some, but, but even into college, Maybe even a little bit after college, things were tight. I didn't have I didn't have a lot of money because I was paying for college and all of that stuff at the same time. Of course, it turns out I should have just waited and it would have gotten paid for me. But 
uh, it's at the time I was trying to work my way through college and you know going to school and doing all this stuff at the same time and so I kind of got away from my budget and I, I remember the the feeling of you know looking at my bank account hoping that I had enough money in there to be able to pay this bill or that bill or whatever and as soon as I set up a budget all of that went away because it's it's money that automatically goes and we use the envelope system we use cash and it goes directly into that envelope. And so at the end of the month, I don't have to go to my bank account, hope I didn't overspend, hope the money's still there. It's already there. And that money comes out, goes into the bank, goes and pays the bills. And we don't ever have to question whether or not there's enough money in there because the only money that's actually spent is money that's available in either an envelope or money that's left over from, you know, that's not going into an envelope that's designated for specific things. But, um, Meet with somebody who can help you set up a budget. Meet with somebody who can help you get your finances in order and maybe talk through a financial strategy or something like that. But the husband, you know, the husband can have a personal spending items in the budget if, if uh, you know, it, it, and so can the wife. You, you can get a monetary gift that, that goes into your budget item. You know, somebody gives you $50 for your birthday, that's money that you get to spend and that goes into your envelope for money that you can spend. Same thing with the, you know, the husband. But take time together to go over the type of purchases that are appropriate or not. And, and I think what's, what's helpful a lot of times is determine what is a, what's a good amount um, that you can spend without consulting the other one, the, the, the husband or the wife. And it, it, it all depends on how much you make. You know, if you're a millionaire, you can go spend $1,000 without asking your wife because it's not really going to affect it. You know, if, if you're not a millionaire and you go spend $1,000 without consulting your husband or consulting your wife, that's a lot of money. So what's the limit? 50 bucks? All right, I went and spent 50 bucks on this. Okay, that's fine. You know, whatever. You had the, the right to do that uh, because that's what we decided. Anything over that amount, check with the other one first. I mean, but all of those things are things that you have to talk about ahead of time to make sure that you're on the same page when it comes to those things. And, and here's something that's very important. The husband and wife should never have separate bank accounts. Um, that eliminates the what's yours is ours, what's mine is mine mentality, right? Um, if, 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 if a husband can't trust his wife to be on the same uh, bank account with him, then there's issues that are a lot deeper than that that need to be taken care of right now. And the other thing that, that eliminates too is, is any kind of impropriety, right? A husband that's got his own bank account, uh, I had a friend of mine, I say friend, I mean, he was a, he was a friend of mine. We grew up together, and uh, he, he, he went off to, uh, to become an assistant pastor. And uh, for some reason, they had separate bank accounts. It turned out that he was using the money in his account to buy flowers for some woman that lived like three states away. And it got discovered and found out that he was, you know, communicating with this woman and basically having an affair on the side and everything else. And, I mean, it, it never would have, I mean... I don't even know the last time I looked at our bank statement. My wife keeps track of all of those things. Do you think I'm going to go spend money on something that's inappropriate if I know that she's going to be the first one to seize it? Of course not. Uh, so, so it does more things than just help with money. It keeps me accountable. I'm not going to spend money on things that, that are inappropriate. I'm not going to spend money on things that I, that I shouldn't, that's going to get me in trouble or whatever else. And so... Um, your money belongs to both of you. And, you know, when, when you became one flesh, you essentially act as one person. Obviously, you have your own wills and everything else. But, but the way God sees you, you're one person. You're acting as one person. They twain became one flesh. Two becomes one. 
That means everything you do ought to be joint, right? I'm not saying that you can't go golf and she doesn't go with you or you can't go do this and whatever. I'm not saying that you can't do things separately, but um, it means that, that everything that you do when it comes to your finances in particular in this situation is all done together. And, uh, of course, you know, there's, there's lots of different side jobs and things like that, and all of that money all needs to be together in something that you both keep accountable together. And that requires discipline on the, on the part of both spouses, uh, not to spend more than is allowed in the budget. And if, if there are core issues of distrust or resentment or both uh, that regarding money, then that needs to be dealt with. And that's a, that's a huge issue. Well, I could, never, I could never put a joint bank account together with my wife because... Well, you should be able to, and, and whatever that because is needs to be taken care of. And if it doesn't, that's going to constantly cause that resentment and that division in your marriage forever. Number four, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because here's another um, area of double standards many times in marriages, and that is her friends and his friends. Talked about um, spending habits, obviously, his spending habits, her spending habits, but her parents and his parents, his friends and her friends. And there can be several double standards here. You know, one of them goes out with their friends all the time, criticizing the other one anytime they try to do that. Well, it's different. I'm going out for whatever reason. You're just doing it because you're trying to get away from us. Right? Uh, and, and the thing is, maybe, maybe these things are things that you don't really have issues with. And if that's the case, then that means your marriage is healthy. And that's good. But a lot of marriages have issues when it comes to this, to all of these things, but this one as well. Um, you know, another scenario is having maybe a disdain for a spouse's friend, and you completely overlook the problems in your own friends uh, because they're your friends. Your friends do this all the time. My friends, you know, that's just her being her. She's just, that's just the way that she is. Your friends, on the other hand, they always fill in the blank. And it's, it's a double standard, and it, and it causes that resentment in marriage. And I think another one is, um, you know, w one may have strict rules about their spouse having friends of the opposite sex, and they don't hold themselves to that same standard. Which, honestly, I, I don't, it's very rare, very rare, if at all, that, that you should be friends with somebody of the opposite sex, unless they're your friends together, Right? I should not have women friends that I go hang out with or that I go talk to or that I go to dinner with or that I go do anything with unless it's my wife and I going to, uh, you know, hang out with another husband and wife or this woman if, it's, if it happens to be a single woman for whatever reason. Uh, you shouldn't have friends of the opposite sex that you just call up anytime you want to call them up and talk on the phone and whatever else the same way that you would if it's you know, some guy that you're hanging out with that's your friend, that you guys have been friends for years or whatever. Um, I, maybe there is, a, maybe there is a, um, uh, some caveat in there somewhere, but you're asking for trouble. You're asking for uh, distrust in your marriage. Because, I mean, what happens when you have a blow-up argument with your wife and you go talk to your friend, right? You're spilling all of your emotional needs and your emotional baggage onto this friend when that's something that you should only be doing with your wife. And it just, it just builds the distrust and it, it just opens the door for a whole lot of other things. So how do you avoid that? Well, it, it really, it all hinges on being responsible as a parent or as, as an adult and as a spouse. 
When you take on responsibility as a spouse or as a parent, then your time hanging out with friends becomes limited, right? And that's one of the things that honestly, uh, you know, kids that are 18, 19 years old that get married at that age, well, I, I never got to hang out with my friends in college and all this stuff because I got married early. Well, that's, that was your choice. Nobody forced you to get married at 19 years old. You decided to do that. And when you decided to get married, you gave up a lot of things that you don't get to do when you're, you know, that, or that you could have done if you stayed single, right? And I'm not saying that it's wrong to get married at 18 or 19 years old, but a lot of times 18 and 19, 20-year-olds are too immature to understand that difference, and they want to go hang out with their friends and, and their girlfriends that they used to hang out with and everybody else and, you know, live the single life and the married life at the same time. Well, here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And that honestly is a childish thing. Hanging out with your friends is something that you did when you were growing up because you had time and you were in school together and you were on sports teams together and you were single and you had some of that time to be able to do that. When you get married, your loyalty switches from your friends to your spouse. And it, it changes. You became a man. You became a lady. So in general, you ought to try to treat the other's friends well. And, and if there is an issue, then you ought to discuss that. And you ought to discuss it openly and honestly. And you ought to show grace when it comes to those things as well. But if you have to hang out with your friends or you have to be able to go out and, and do stuff with the girls or go out and do stuff with the guys then set a schedule for equal time. That, that may be a good place to start. Listen, you, you, know, you do this once a month, I'll do it once a month, and, and we'll call it even, you know, versus, well, you did that last month. This is something we do every week. I can't help it. We do this every week. We've been doing this for years and years and years, but you need to stay home and whatever, right? I just, it's a double standard that, that, that can cause issues. But if either one has a friend or friends who are a bad influence, there, there might be a need to discontinue those friendships. And um, honestly, you know, understand that that's a hard thing to ask your spouse to do. You've got to be patient. You've got to give it time. Um, but if, if it's a bad influence, then, then that needs to be talked about. It's just a good practice not to have friends who are of the opposite gender, especially if you live close by, uh, because there's so much danger that can, that, can, that can easily create a distraction and a distrust in your marriage. So, I mean, and again, you know, my wife doesn't have any friends, so it's, it's easy for me. No, I'm kidding. She she does, but it's, it's one of those things that if there is an issue, you need to talk about them, and you need to talk about them together, and you need to have that open and honest, honest conversation. And, and here's what happens a lot of times. You try to sit down and have an open and honest conversation, and one of them shuts down and, and won't talk about it. That's, that's immature. That, if there's something that needs to be talked about, whether it's finances or friends or any of these things, you have to have that open and honest communication. You know, people have said for, for years that communication is the number one key to marriage. It's not the number one key, it's, but it's an important part of it, right? Commitment is the number one key to marriage. Communication is a close second or third, though. Uh, you have to have that open and honest communication or everything's going to break down. Here's another one. This is a really simple one, but this is something that, that, often, find, uh, that, that often turns out to be a double standard and creates... Um, contention as well, but it come, when it comes to household chores. And the double standard, it, it normally breaks down into gender roles. Certain jobs around the house are considered a man's job. Certain jobs around the house are considered a woman's job. If, if, the, if the wife makes dinner, that's expected. 
If the husband takes out the trash, that's expected. He's, you know, um, but if the wife takes out the trash, now she's going above and beyond, right? If the husband makes dinner, he's going above and beyond because that's not my job. That's not my role. Um, now, if those roles are, are clearly delegated, then it isn't a double standard, but, but having those, those expectations, maybe, without an agreement is, is where the problem arises. And, and another, another double standard uh, arises when it comes to dealing with helping out. You know, um, I'll come do what you need help with when I'm done or when I'm ready to help. You drop everything and come help me right now, right? And, and sometimes, I mean, we all, we all fall into that sometimes. I'm busy. I'll help you later. I need you now. Get in here and help me, right? Uh, we do it, and, and that's a, it's a double standard that, that honestly can cause some contention. So turn over to Philippians chapter 2. And I think the uh, easiest way to do that is to just divide the chores so that the workload's even, right? Obviously, for the most part, the, the wife is home a lot of the, t- a lot of the day. Um, I mean, obviously, sometimes they work. Sometimes they, you know, have, have other obligations that are going on. But, um, you know, certain jobs do fall to a man because they're more physical in nature, nature when it comes to raking the leaves or taking out the trash or whatever. But that doesn't mean that the wife can't jump in and help out from time to time, Right. Typically, it's the wife's job to do the cleaning in the home and the cooking and everything else, but that doesn't mean that the husband can't come in and, and jump in and help out with that. In fact, I did that today. I cleaned the toilet in, in the bathroom, um, and it was before that I really had uh, laid this out and knew what I was going to talk about, but, I, but after I did, I said, you know what? That fit really well with what I was going to talk about tonight. I cleaned the toilet, and that's not my job at home, but um, one of the quickest ways, uh, you, know, you, you know, many times... Uh, one of the quickest ways to get on your spouse's good side is to help them out with stuff that they're working on, you know, things that they normally would do. Hey, let me help you with supper. Hey, let me help you with the cleaning. Hey, let me, let me sweep the floor. Hey, let me take out the trash. Hey, let me do this. I know you're busy. Let me help you out with that, right? How, how easy is that to do, and yet how often we don't do that? And it's not necessarily a double standard to, to not help out with it. It's a double standard when you expect them to, to, to jump in and help you, and you don't jump in and help them where you can. Um, the breakdown usually occurs with selfishness and stubbornness. I got my job done. I'm going to sit on the couch and, you know, do nothing for the rest of the night. You go finish your stuff up, and I don't care if it takes you till 3 o'clock in the morning. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Get it done. You should have planned your day better, whatever else, right? Um, that, that ends up being a double standard, that really puts a wedge in the marriage because now the wife, if it happens to be that, is walking around finishing up her job fuming that her husband's sitting on the couch doing nothing. I'm doing all this work and he thinks I do nothing all day and I've been slaving all day and getting this done and that done and, and it creates that resentment. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Again, that kind of goes right along with what we talked about uh, in the first point, but it's humility, right? Let me think of you before I think of me. You've probably heard the acronym for joy before, right? Jesus, others, you. And when things are in that order, that's going to bring you the greatest joy of your life. You put Christ first, you put others second, put yourself last. And if you don't expect anything, then everything that you get is just icing on the cake, right? Number, f- number six, and this kind of goes right along with it, so we're going to be quick with this one, but dealing with the kids. You know, the double standard a lot of times is that you know, at the end of the day, everybody's tired. 
You've been busy, you've been working, you've been back and forth doing whatever else. After a long day at work, the hu husband comes home tired, he, he, he's want, he wants to rest. The wife's been home all day with the kids and is tired of dealing with them and is ready for the husband to take over as soon as he walks in the door. And neither one of them have the energy to do it a lot of times. And so the double standard comes in when one expects the other to completely handle everything with the kids. And again, this this is typically when the kids are younger and need more help and, you know, whatever else. I'm, I am thankful that our kids are to the age where now my wife and I are just like, all right, we're home. You guys go do your stuff. We're going to, you know, we're going to enjoy the evening or whatever, you know. Um, but the, the way to avoid that is to tune into your spouse. Try to, try to put yourself in their shoes. Think about how they would feel, okay? I know I've been working all day. I finally got home. It's 6 o'clock at night. I'm ready to sit down and relax and take my shoes off and everything else, but my wife has been dealing with the kids all day and their bad behavior and their issues and their fighting and their whining and they're begging for stuff and they're all this stuff and she's been dealing with that all day long put yourself in her shoes and just think about how how she feels when she's asking you to hey can you do this right and again for the most part the husband comes home and, and at least the way it is for for me you know, we come home and it's not sit down and relax the rest of the night. There's work that has to be done around the house or whatever else, and I'm usually going and doing that. And so for, for my wife to say, I've been dealing with the kids all day. I'm done. You go do it. I'm sitting down on the couch or I'm going to bed for the rest of the day or whatever else. Typically, it is the wife's responsibility to take care of the kids. She's the homemaker, and that's, you know, if she chooses to work outside of the home, then that's a choice that sometimes they don't have. You know, sometimes you have to do that, but... But then again, you have responsibilities that you have to fulfill within the home, right? Um, what does the Bible say? That, that women should be keepers at home, right? And, and again, I'm not saying that a, that a wife can't work outside of the home, but don't expect then all the work to be done for you when you get back in the house at the end of the day. Uh, does that require sacrifice? Yes. Uh, does it require effort? Yes. But in the end, you'll both be happy because you can both rest together a little bit sooner because you help the other one with the housework, with the kids, with everything else. Here's the last one, number seven. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And, and this one, I think, happens a lot more than we sometimes even realize. Maybe we do realize it and we don't care. But number seven is hurting one another. We all hurt one another. Whether we intend to do it or not, um, it happens. But where the double standard comes in is when one spouse wants the other one to quickly let go of the hurt that they caused because, you know, they ask forgiveness, and then they drag it on and on and on and on when it comes to the other spouse. That's a double standard. Same goes for making mistakes, you know. When I make a mistake, they need to realize that it was a mistake, let it go and move on. When they make a mistake, I'm going to hold that over their head for the next five days, and I'm going to make sure that they remember that they made this mistake, and they said that, and they shouldn't have said that, and they did that, and they shouldn't have done that. And, you know, but I, I did the same thing, but I already asked you to forgive me. You should let it go right? It's a double standard. Uh, another common double standard that usually applies to men more than women, but it goes both ways, is that I can say anything I want to say, right? I can, I, can, I can say what I want to say to you to drive the knife in deeper, but you need to respect me because I'm the husband, right? And it goes both ways. It, it, it does happen both ways, but typically men uh, do that a little bit more than women do. So how do you avoid that? Well, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 is a great place to start. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. 
We, we, we let our kids memorize that verse often because you shouldn't be fighting and bickering and arguing with each other, and you need to learn how to play together and get along. Well, guess what, Mom and Dad? You should, too. You need to learn how to play together and get along, right? And be kind, be tender-hearted, be forgiving to one another. We talked about this uh, maybe a couple months ago, um, but set rules for how you argue. Set rules for how you're going to reconcile with one another, right? Uh, if it's just a knockdown, drag out, hollering, screaming match, you're not going to get anything done. Sometimes there needs to be that discussion. Sometimes there needs to be an argument, if you will. Uh, but you're not accomplishing anything if you're both talking over each other. You're not accomplishing anything if you're both hollering and screaming and throwing things and whatever else. Nothing is being accomplished. So fight, because sometimes you need to fight. But set rules for how you do it and make sure something is accomplished when you get to the end of it. I'm not saying pull the boxing gloves out and, you know, ding, 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 and let the kids be the referees. I'm not saying that. But uh, number one, your arguments ought to be in a private place, right? You ought not to be arguing in front of your children. You know, go take a drive and, 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 and have it out in the car or, you know, get it, you know, get in the bedroom and whisper to your person and make sure they know that you're mad at them, right? Uh, but have rules. Figure it out. But at the end of the day, we need to heed what it says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Listen, didn't, didn't God forgive you for all the stuff you did? And God, you know, the, the moment you ask him for forgiveness, he, he lets everything go, right? And he's holy. He's absolutely holy. He's sinless. He's the God of the universe. And he's willing to do that for me. Why shouldn't I be willing to do that for my spouse when I'm just a sinless person the same way that she is or the same way that he is? Have boundaries and guidelines that surround that conflict. That, that, that can make all the difference. And, and then make an agreement that once an apology has been made or once an issue has been resolved, that's the end of it. Because what happens many, many times within a marriage is that it's over, it's done, and then it gets brought up again the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And then something happens and, well, you only did that. Uh, I only did that to you because you did this five years ago. I know you still remember that. Remember what you did five years ago? That's why I did that, right? Let it go. It's just like, what, is, what does the Bible say when it comes to talking about our sins, right? When we confess our sins, he puts them as far away as the east is from the west. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's what God says, right? We're sinless. I mean, we're sinners. He's sinless. And if he, as a sinless God, can do that, then how much more should I, as a sinner, be willing to do that for, for, for my spouse, who I claim to love and who I claim to care for and who I made a vow to that we're going to do all these things together. So I don't think there's anybody that would say that they want to have a miserable, miserable marriage. Everybody wants to live happily ever after. But so often that double standards that we allow to creep into our marriages cause that resentment um, that one or both spouses just can't get over. And they harbor those resentments until they can't stand being around each other anymore. And then they move into separate beds, and then they move into separate rooms, and then they move into separate houses, and then they're divorced. And that's not the way that God intended for it to be. And that's, not, that's not the way anybody wants it to be, but that's the way it happens many times because it's allowing these double standards in. So the solution is to think of our spouses more and of ourselves less. That's what, that's what, real, that's what humility is. Think, humility is not thinking less of yourself. 
Humility is thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is, right? God gives every one of us abilities and talents and everything else. And me walking around saying, oh, I'm, I'm worthless. I can't do anything right. And I can't. That's, that's, that's really a false humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting other people in front of me. And if I'm going to do that for anybody, it ought to be my wife. If you're going to do that for anybody, it ought to be your spouse, right? Do that for other people. Be that way at work. Be that humble person. Be that, be that person at church. Be that one that's willing to serve. But if you're going to do it anywhere, you ought to do it at home. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't have those double standards. Don't be double-faced, double-minded, as the Bible says. Be the same person that you are in church as you are at home. Be the same person at home as you are in church. That's the way that we ought to be. And that's the way to avoid double standards in our marriage. And, 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 and that's how we can eliminate that, um, I think, is just simply with genuine humility. If we're willing to put others in front of us, then those double standards won't exist. And that strife, that resentment won't exist. And we'll have a marriage that God intended us to have when we came together on our wedding day and everything was bliss and joy and happiness and, you know, rice and wedding bells, right? You can have that for the whole rest of your marriage. You just have to make sure that you avoid doing these things to keep it from getting to the point where so many marriages in, a, in America have gotten. And that's just complete resentment for their spouse. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. An unstable man, uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, right? Put others in front of you. Put your wife in front of yourself. Put your husband in front of yourself. Avoid those double standards. You'll have a happy marriage. God will bless that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the wonderful homes that we have in our church. Homes and families are what make up churches and strong churches. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us have healthy families, healthy homes, and that we would do our best with your help to avoid the double standards in marriage, to avoid the double standards within our homes, and that we would not be double-minded in appearing one way in public and being another way at home. I pray that you'd be pleased with us in both places. And God, I pray that you'd help our, the marriages in our church to be strong, that you can use us in a, in a great way as a church. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.